Bibles are open to Matthew chapter number 5, verse number 27. It starts out like this, You have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. If thy right hand offend thee, pluck it out. And if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out. And cast it from thee, for it is profitable for thee that one of, the, one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. And if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off, and cast it from thee, for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not the whole body should be cast into hell. It hath been said, Whosoever shall put away his wife, let him, let him give her a writing of divorcement. But I say unto you that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery, and whosoever shall marry her that is divorced committeth adultery. Again, ye have heard that it hath been said by them of old time, Thou shalt not forswear thyself, and shalt perform unto the Lord thy oaths. But I say unto you, Swear not at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by earth, for it is, foot, it is his footstool, neither by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king." Neither shalt thou swear by thy head, because thou canst make one hair white or black, but let your communication be yea, yea, nay, nay, for whatsoever is more of these cometh of evil. With Jesus, there are no gray areas. And I think we often look at the Bible and then we, we maybe we don't study it enough as Christians, and we look at the Bible and we don't know exactly what it's saying, so we operate on our own moral accountability that's within ourselves, and we assume some things are in the Bible and we assume some things are okay. But it's important for us to know exactly what the Bible says, and with Jesus, there are no gray areas, especially in this passage. Jesus here clarifies some things. You can put the title, uh, you can put the title on the screen. Jesus here clarifies the gray areas we see in this passage. Uh, you have heard that it has been said. Jesus said this three different times. And if you go on, he says it two more times. We'll talk about those next week. But he keeps saying, you have heard that it has been said. Jesus is addressing some old wives' tales that have come out of the past. And he's addressing even some men that have looked at the law of God and then got their own interpretation and just said one thing out of it. Uh, old wives' tales. We probably believe in our life some pretty dumb things before, Right? How many of you believed at one point someone convinced you that the earth was flat? Maybe Pirates of the Caribbean? Maybe, maybe it convinced you, I'm not sure. Uh, I grew up believing that black cats were of the devil because my father hated black cats because it's a southern thing that black cats are cursed. And if you see a black cat in the street, you're supposed to hit it with your car, and if you don't, you're cursed. Right, unless you hit it. That was the rule. And we actually own a black cat, but he has one armpit. He has one armpit that has gray hair in it, so I'm safe. Uh, but, but black cats in the South are considered, that is an old wise tale. That's not in the Bible. That's not true. Black cats are pretty cool. Uh, many of my friends growing up, and I did not believe this because my mom is a nurse, many of my friends grew up believing that if they didn't wear a jacket outside, their mothers told them this, and I'm sure they had great intentions, if they didn't wear a jacket outside in the cold, they were going to get sick, right? But we learned through science that that's not true. Cold doesn't cause you to get sick. What causes you to get sick? Germs. Germs, right? Germs cause you to get sick, not cold weather. Um, I believed at a young age, and your parents probably told you this, Jesus is addressing some old wives' tales. He's addressing some fables, some things that didn't make sense according to his law. And I believed as a young person, uh, my dad told me this, that if you swallow a watermelon seed... Mm -hmm. 
A lot of you know our... Okay, your parents lied to you as well. If you swallow a watermelon seed, then a watermelon is going to grow in your stomach. And I'm here to attest, it's true. Right? I ate a watermelon seed, and this is what happened. This is what happened. Uh, th- there's many old wives' tales. And we all grew up hearing and believing some silly things that were just old wives' tales. They weren't true. They're just hearsay from other people. And until we got clarification on those things, we lived believing a lie. Right? Until we got clarification, we didn't believe what was actually true. It was this as if in this passage that Jesus was clarifying some gray areas. He was saying, you know, it's been, you've heard from old time that these people said this, but then Jesus is giving three clarifications in this passage. It's as if, and I have a pair of glasses here, obviously, and and my glasses, um, a lot of times they get smudgy. Right, They get really smudgy, and some days I'll be working, like I was working in the attic the other day. Um, it took me two whole days to install like an exhaust fan and wire it all up. It was really, your dad helped me for part of that. Mr. Ganaway was over there helping me, and we were all frustrated with it. Uh, but we finally got it done, but I'm up there in my attic, and I have that insulation that just blows every, insulation's like something you put in your attic or in your walls that helps keep the heat out or the cold air in. Um, so I was up there, and this stuff's flying everywhere, and I get down, and my glasses, I could barely see out of them. But then I take them and I run them under cold water and I wipe them off and now I can see clearly. It's as if Jesus sees that they're believing something or they have a distorted vision, a visionary view about something and Jesus wants to clarify some things. Uh, Jesus gives us clarity all throughout the Bible. If there's a question that you have about a specific moral question, Jesus probably gave the answer in the New Testament. Um, and we run to all these other sources and we ask our friends, do you think this is wrong? Or we ask our parents, hey, hey, mom, dad, is this wrong to do? And asking our parents, asking authority can be a good thing. But ultimately, the word of God is our authority. Um, and in the Bible, with, with many things, there are no gray areas. Uh, thankfully, we don't have to leave most things in the gray area. Jesus answered them. Uh, Christians who do not know God's law and do not want to know God's law are content to live in the gray area. You don't know what you believe about divorce. Therefore, you can justify it later down the road if you're a Christian because you don't know what God says about it. Um, You don't know what God says um, about adultery. Uh, So therefore, you go out and and you live a world of sin thinking that Jesus, after all of that, is just going to forgive you and you're just going to run back to Him. Well, there's serious consequences in the Scripture to that. And we must clear up some of these gray areas. Um, it, it talks about swearing later in this passage. We'll talk about all three of those things. So let's notice tonight three clarifications that Jesus gave of the law. Three clarifications that Jesus gave of the law. First of all, he gives a clarification on adultery. Clarification on adultery. If you look back in verse number 27, he says, You have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. Jesus here is speaking to the Pharisees. What were the Pharisees an expert in? The law. So the Pharisees had the law memorized. They had everything about the law lined up just to where they were going to obey every single little thing to the T. But the Pharisees, as we discussed last week, what did they miss about the law that God was giving? They missed the heart of the law. They missed God's intention behind giving the law in the first place. And the point of Jesus giving this law, thou shalt not commit adultery, they give the command correctly. I'm sorry, I could fix that. They give the command correctly. Uh, but, but Jesus has to go back and he has to say, hey, you're missing the whole point. Uh, and he goes in verse number 28 and he says, but I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. 
And we can read into this passage in a little bit and understand that Jesus was addressing the heart of the Pharisees. That the Pharisees, although outwardly they had it all put together, they, they were not committing adultery, right? They were not having sexual relations with women that were not their wives. However, God knew that they were committing adultery in their hearts. And that the Pharisees had a checklist of laws and one of them was don't commit adultery. And they were able to self-righteously check that off. But inside their hearts, they had an adulterous heart. They were looking at women to lust after them. Uh, however, Jesus takes this law even further. He says, even if you look at a woman to lust, that is sin. We often ignore the heart of a rule. Usually if a rule isn't in place, it is because the leader has put that rule there because he knows the consequences of you breaking that rule. Or secondly, and, and least consequentially, the rule is put there because someone else did something really, really stupid. Right? But in God's law, the law is there with a heart intention behind it. Um, we ignore the heart of the rule. There was a guy in my dorm when I was a dorm supervisor. And by the way, I hated When you go to college, if God puts you in a position to be a dorm supervisor, great. But it's going to ruin a lot of your friendships because you're going to have to like write up your friends. you got to do your job. And <laughs> I just did not enjoy that much of being a dorm supervisor. Uh, but those guys ignored the heart of the rule. They, they, they saw the little areas like the Pharisees. They saw the little areas where they could get out of the law while still breaking the law in their heart. And one of the rules is that you cannot walk out of the emergency exits that were out of both wings of the side of the building. So one guy, I found a guy one night sneaking out of the window in his bedroom. And I said, why are you leaving through the window? And he said, because it's a rule that I can't go out the emergency exit door, right? Because it's not a rule technically in the rule book that you can't leave out of the window. He thought, technically, I'm not breaking the law. Um, how about you when you were a kid? You technically didn't break the rule, but you broke the rule in the heart of the rule. How about this? Did you ever sit in the car and do this? I'm not touching you. <laughs> but, but mom, I'm not touching him. He's almost touching me. But mom, I'm not touching him, right? You did that. Well, I'm sure you could think of tons of things where you didn't exactly break the rule, but you didn't understand the heart intention behind the rule. And that's exactly what the Pharisees didn't understand. They're saying, well, I'm not committing adultery. Well, God's saying you're committing adultery in your heart. You're looking at women to lust after them. The word look there in verse number uh, 28, but I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman. The word look there is not just a casual glance, guys. Um, it's not a, a, that's a girl, and then you look on to other things. The word look there has the idea of an intentional stare with intent to lust after a person. So whenever he says, when a man looketh after a woman to lust after her, it means that you are staring with the intent of thinking of that girl in a way that God would not be pleased with. And the girls, it could also be said about you, that if you look at a guy to lust after him, you intentionally stare. Now, now guys and girls, it is not a sin to look at certain things that are immodest. Okay, Your eyes are going to casually glance across things that are immodest in your life. Right, you're going to be driving down the road and there's going to be a billboard and you guys are going to look for a moment and then you're going to look right away. But that's not the kind of look that's in the scripture passage. It would be a sin if you were to stare at that and lust after that picture. And it's amazing to me. And, and, and Jesus clarifies it, but it's such a challenge to my heart that Jesus takes the law any further and he says, if you look to lust after her, that in your heart you've committed adultery already. Uh, the intent of the law, uh, Warren Wiersbe said this, he says the intent of the law was to reveal 
the sanctity of sex within a marriage and the sin of a fullness uh, of fullness in the human heart. Sexual impurity begins with the desires of the heart. We'll talk about this in a moment, but sexual impurities begin with the desires of the heart. And Jesus recommends uh, later here in verse number 29, if you look at verse 29, He recommends some radical surgery to fix this, right? Jesus says, if you're looking after women to lust after them in your heart, you are committing adultery. And Jesus gives us some practical things. He gives us an idea of spiritual amputation. Right, cutting a, 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 a limb off, and Jesus first of all gives the example of plucking your eye out. Right? Don't you love how the King James puts that? You, you pluck your eye out. That means to take the eye out of your head. He said it'd be better for you to take the eye out of your head and enter into heaven than having both of your eyes to enter into hell. Jesus is saying here, he's not actually telling you if you have a problem with lust to remove your eyes. Right? He is not telling you. He is requesting that you get spiritual amputation. What does this mean? That you make some practical steps towards getting rid of the lust in your life. He also recommends cutting off your hand. Right, The eyes and the hand. These are two areas in which lusts are committed. And Jesus says it's better for you to cut those things off or, or, or spiritually. He, he's making it really serious. He's saying it's better for you to cut those things off than for you to fall into this sin. So what are some practical steps? How do we cut off spiritually? How do we abolish lust that we might not be adulteresses in heart and adulterers in heart? First of all, give your phones to your parents at night. I've recommended this to your parents. I've recommended this to you guys for the two and a half years that I've been here. You guys do not need your phone beside your bed. If you have untethered internet access and you can go on your phone and look at anything, or even if you have access to Instagram, because you guys know you've seen bad things on Instagram, or you have access to Twitter or Facebook because you know you've seen bad stuff on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. You could see bad things on Snapchat and you know you can't or whatever forms of social media, if you know that you can access things that would cause you to be an adulterer in heart, God says cut it off, and it's a good idea for you to bring your phone to your parent. Even if you don't have this problem, bring your phone to your parent, let's say at 10 o'clock every night before you go to sleep. Because when is temptation going to hit you hardest? When no one else is around. When you're there by yourself. And you say, Pastor Scotty, that would be embarrassing. That, that wouldn't, my, my parents might judge me for that. Well, guess what? Jesus said it's better for you to pluck out your eye. It's better for you to cut off your arm. He is recommending spiritual amputation. He's saying, get it out of your life no matter what it takes. Get it out of your life, no matter what you have to do. No matter if you have to go talk to your youth pastor and, and, and guys, you have to come talk to me and say, hey, this is a problem in my life when I'm looking out on my phone. Because it's making me, and God looks at me as an adulterer. He looks at my heart and he says, I'm an adulterer. This is a problem and he recommends spiritual amputation. Don't don't allow yourself instant access and always having access to sin on your phones. I commit, guys, commit this, and I committed this as a young person. Commit to when you see something that could possibly be lustful, and you know what I'm talking about, if you see something either on your phone or in person, a a girl walking down the street or or girls, a guy walking down the street, and you know you're going to be tempted to lust, notice it as a temptation and immediately turn your head the complete opposite way. I don't care if you have to walk in a different direction. Jesus says it's better that you pluck out your eye. It's better that you cut off your hand than you fall into this temptation. So immediately look away. Commit, young men, commit to see young ladies as daughters of someone else's. Um, th- that's a daughter of another man's, uh, another man, right? That, that's someone's daughter. 
I'm sorry, I couldn't quite get my sentence out. Uh, but, but commit, when you see a girl and you're tempted to lust after her, hey, that girl's got a dad. That girl's got a dad that held her when she was a baby, that, that loves her immensely. And if you were to know that girl and that girl was your sister, you would be extremely offended by the thoughts that you were going through your brain. So commit to see young ladies as God's creation, that they were created in God's image and they're not just an object. You see pornography and looking at girls that dress immodestly uh, when we're out in public and having that intense stare, that look of lust, places girls as objects to be used, not people to be cherished as God designed. You're perverting who girls are in general. And guys and girls, you may be so far down this road of pornography that you aren't even able to talk to a girl without lusting anymore. You're not able to see her as she properly is. You need to cut it off. You need to get whatever it is out of your life that you might live for God and get rid of that sin. Second of all, he gives a clarification on divorce. And this one will go quicker. Verse number 31 and 32. It says this. It hath been said, whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing. Let him give her a writing of divorcement. A divorce in America is at an all-time high. And divorce in the church is at an all-time high, but it hasn't, it, it has been an issue since sinful man began to be sinful after Adam and Eve. Divorcement has always been an issue where men, uh, where women leave their husbands or men leave their wives. Many of us in the room have had our lives hurt or changed by divorce. Maybe you have parents have been divorced and then remarried. Uh, many of us have been changed by this. This is an extremely personal thing. I come from a, a, a home where my mother and their father, they, they separate and then they get divorced when I was about 15 and my mom remarried. Um, so this is a topic that, that's an extremely important for me to know the facts about. Uh, but the Bible says that it is sin if you put her away. In Matthew 19, uh, maybe you could study this later. We don't have quite, t- quite have time. But in Matthew 19, verses 3 through 9, it gives more clarification on this. The Pharisees came on, come unto him asking, um, is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? So they're saying, can we divorce our wives for any reason? And he answered and said unto them, Have you not read that he made them at the beginning, he made them male and female, and said, For this cause shall man leave father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. Jesus gives the principle here that when you get married, you are no longer just one person, that you become two. I mean, you become one. You uh, no longer are two individuals, but you are one person. You become one flesh. And said, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. Wherefore, they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let no man put asunder. He's saying, when you're married, nothing can separate you except this one thing. And then the Pharisees say unto them, They say unto him, What did Moses then command thee to give a writing of divorcement and put, put her away? And he said unto them, Moses, because of the hardness of your heart, suffered you to put away your wives. But from the beginning... From the beginning in the garden, it was not so. And I say unto you, whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, that is stepping out on your wife to have sex with another person or or be an adulterer or stepping out on your husband, except it be for the cause of fornication and shall marry another committeth adultery. Whoso marrieth her which is put away doth commit adultery. Some, some key principles about marriage is here really quick. Close up. Marriage is not a commitment that you make to someone. Marriage is a covenant. Marriage is a loving covenant that is for a lifetime, right? And you need to get this in your minds now that when you get married, it's not just a commitment. Commitments break. Commitments get messed up. 
You in God's eyes are no longer two individual people. You become one flesh. And God says about those two people that come together, what God hath put together, or, or what, what God hath made one, let no man put it asunder. Let no man separate them. Marriage is permanent, not temporary. Let no man put asunder. Divorce is sin. Now, it's just as much as sin as any other sin, right? So is there, is there healing from sin? Of course. Is there forgiveness for sin? Of course. But divorcement is sin unless it's for this one cause, and the cause is fornication. So if, if the cause is for fornication, then divorcement or writing of divorcement is permitted. But obviously the fornication is sin. As well as remarrying someone who has been divorced, that is a sin. As well as marrying someone who is divorced, those are sins as well. And by the way, just let me make this one note, and I might not get to my last point today, and that's fine. I might finish it in Sunday school or something. Do not practice divorce now. You say, what in the world are you talking about? I'm talking about these casual girlfriend-boyfriend relationships that you guys like to get yourselves into. And I pray that you wouldn't just write me off, that you would listen to me for a second. Because when you have a casual boyfriend-girlfriend relationship and you commit yourselves exclusively to each other at such a young age as you guys, and you say, well, I can handle it. I'm mature enough. You're practicing divorce. Because eventually that relationship's going to end. Can I challenge you with this? Only date someone. Only become boyfriend and girlfriend with someone that you can seriously consider in your heart and you can commit yourselves to think in your mind that one day I'm going to marry this person. Let it be someone. Let it be someone that this is a person you're going to gain affection for. This is a person who, like it or not, is going to take a piece of your heart with them. So commit in your heart that whenever you're going to get a boyfriend or girlfriend, that you're going to be serious about it. That you're not just going to be flimsy and flippant about, about these relationships because if you, if you are flimsy and you're, flim, and you're just throwing it around everywhere, you're practicing divorce because you're putting yourselves inside of a commitment that's not going to last. When I was in college, there were many opportunities for me to go out on dates, um, to find a girlfriend. I could have had a girlfriend, right, my freshman year. I could have had a girlfriend my sophomore year, but I had to see uh, in my life the devastation of divorce to realize from my parents divorcing. And I realized in high school, and I made the commitment in high school, that I would wait to date until God showed me the girl that I was going to marry. And if you don't feel like God, and by the way, this look at me right now. If you don't feel like God wants you to marry that person, don't date that person. Be friends with that person, right? It doesn't make sense to just get this casual relationship going that's just going to mess you up in the long run. No one said from their previous relationships after they were married, oh, yeah, I just gained some experience with that relationship. I'm really glad that I had that casual relationship. Wrong. Every adult will tell you that's had casual relationships in the past and then gotten married, that those past relationships were hurtful and they left scars and they didn't help them. And I'm thankful to say, and I, I don't say this to put others down that weren't this way, but I'm happy to say that my wife is my first girlfriend, that I achieved my goal. And guys, you can commit tonight to God, the same commitment that I made in high school, that God, the first person that, that, or God, I'm going to wait to be girlfriend and boyfriend until you show me the right one for my life. And, and you might be wrong about it, and God might lead you to someone that you would date in college that maybe isn't the right person, and then God changes your plan. But commit tonight to say, God, 
I am going to wait. I'm going to put beside, put aside my, my fleshly desires or the identity that I could find in just calling someone my girlfriend or calling someone my boyfriend. I'm going to put all that aside and I am going to wait until the person that God has for me, until God presents them to me. Guys, it's going to save you from a world of hurt. I don't have time to get into the last um, clarification that we have, which is swearing, but let me just tell you this about adultery and let me tell you this also about this matter of divorcement. Let God, let Jesus Christ be the identity in your life. Too often do we find our identity in another fleshly person. Guys, you don't need a girlfriend to have an identity. Girls, you don't need a boyfriend. You definitely don't need a boyfriend to have your identity, to find your identity in someone. Let your identity be found in the person of Jesus Christ. I invite you to 